Good morning. Uh, for those of you who are following in your worship guide, you might notice that I don't look like a Roman Gonzalez. And that is because I am not Roman Gonzalez. Um, you can be praying for him because he is currently in Mexico trying to get his permanent uh, religious visa. From what I understand, it has been approved, but he's waiting on the United States government to actually issue it to him. Um, so it could be, you know, forever. So please pray. Pray that the United States government will work quickly and will be able to give him his visa so that he can return to us um, because he literally cannot until he gets that. He's stuck in, in Mexico until he gets that. So as you're praying, just pray for, for Armand um, that, that he will be able to receive that uh, quickly and uh, hopefully he will be back with us next week. Um, but it is my joy to, to be here with you and to be able to present uh, the, the word uh, of, of God with you. Um, also, Roman will not be here for our communion liturgy. I know you're surprised. So we, uh, we have a wonderful new member of Ironworks Church, freshly minted, but he is also an ordained minister, uh, the Reverend Steve Carter, who will be uh, uh, presiding over the Eucharist for us this morning and will lead us in our communion liturgy. Um, so as he, as he comes, just, just know who that is and why he's here. So what I want you to do is I want you to picture yourself. There's Keith. I was looking for you earlier. <laughs> he is here. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> what I want you to do is picture yourself and your spouse, if you have one, or an imaginary spouse, if you don't. And you're planning a major move to a new and unfamiliar location. Together, you've, you've decided that this is the right direction for your future. This is where you can settle down, you can flourish with opportunities for rest, for relaxation, and for purpose. It's the place you both have dreamed of. You've made all the necessary preparations, you packed your belongings, you loaded up the moving truck, you redirected your mail, and as you're about to embark on this journey, your spouse comes up to you and says, you can go, but I'm not gonna go with you. Just imagine what you feel at that moment. You're devastated. The whole reason for this move was so that you could be together. So what's the point of going if your spouse will not join you? Well, I would like you to stand and open your Bibles. You can't open your worship guides because it's not going to be the right text. So open your Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen as we read from Exodus 33 and 34. Exodus 33, 3 to 5, and a lot more. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. 
When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one would put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me, your, show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hands two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. This is the work of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Just like 
if your spouse were to turn to you after making all of these plans and said, you can go, but I will not. That is essentially what happened with the people of Israel here. God had promised many years ago to their ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that they would go into this land, this land flowing with milk and honey. And after rescuing his people from the Egyptians, God had brought them to this mountain to establish a covenant with them. However, while Moses was with the Lord on the mountain, the Israelites constructed an idol and worshipped it and bowed down to it and said, this is the Lord, the God who has redeemed you and rescued you. And they dishonored God. The very God who had spoken audibly from this very mountain, you shall have no other gods before me. They literally heard these words from the mouth of the Lord on the mountain in just a few weeks, maybe even days later, they worship a false god. And God says to them, you can go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way. For you, you are a stiff-necked people. And in response, it says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. Their heart was grieved. It was utterly devastating. And what we can see from this is that there are two things that the people of Israel need in order to be able to continue on their journey to this promised land. First, they need God's anger, his wrath, to be assuaged, to be quieted. And secondly, they need God's fatherly presence to be reinstated. And we find ourselves here as well. Some of us here have brought with us a deep sense of shame or guilt because of the things that we have done or the things that we know we should have done, but we didn't. Our conscience condemns us, and quite honestly, it can be a burden that's too great to carry. Some of us might feel distant from God, doubting that his presence is with us in our lives. And I'm sure all of us, just like the Apostle Paul can attest, just this. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the very evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. We, like the Israelites, we need to be assured 
that God's wrath, his anger, has been quieted and assuaged, and that our guilt is forgiven, and that God's gracious presence is near to us. So, let's dig in and find out how we can learn about this. Moses is burdened. He's absolutely burdened by this devastating news, and he approaches God on behalf of the people. And it's in his request and God's response that we find out how these two needs are met. Moses addresses these needs in two main prayer requests. The first is Moses prays for God's presence. And then secondly, Moses prays for a glimpse of God's glory. Let's look at Moses' request for God's presence. It says, as Moses draws near to to God on behalf of his people, that he pleads with God. In verses 12 and 13, he says, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor or grace in my sight. So, If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight and consider too that this nation is your people. It's important to note that Moses draws near to God and he does so boldly. He comes to God. He's like, listen, you said these are your people. You didn't even tell me who's going to go with us. You said to go, but how can we possibly go if we don't know who's going to go with us? He prays boldly, but he also prays with a humility. There's no presumption on Moses' part, but he understands that he can approach God solely on grace. He says... I know, you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor. Or the word could be, you have found grace in my sight. He reminds God that he is God's friend. You have been gracious to me. You know me by name, like a friend. And so Moses doesn't presume to come to God on his own, but he comes as one welcomed by grace and friendship. And as we think about our own approach to God and prayer, how do we come to God? It is only grace that can set us free to boldly approach a holy God with an attitude of humility. You remember the story of Esther As she approached King Ahasuerus, she was terrified because the king could literally snap his fingers and she would be taken away and murdered. And so she was terrified, but she came boldly to the king and she approached the king knowing that he had set his affection on her. She came with boldness and with humility and 
she was welcomed by grace. And this is how we also should approach God in prayer. We can come boldly. And we can come as one who is welcomed by grace. And we can come as one who is loved and enjoyed by God. And so God responds to Moses this way. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Allow these words that were sent to Moses to settle into your heart this morning. God says to you, I will be with you and I will give you rest. Moses continues, and as he does, you get the sense that, that Moses is very emotional. He's, he's, his heart is, is very uh, distressed and hurt and burdened for his people. And he focuses his prayer not on himself, but on the people of God, the people that God has given Moses to lead. Uh, Look in verse 15, he says, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in you going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? You get the sense Moses loves this people. It's his family And it's God's family. And so he begs for God's presence for these people. His prayer doesn't find its focus primarily on himself, but on others. His love for God's people and his responsibility to lead them well brings him to pray fervently for them. And it's worth asking, what shapes our prayers? What motivates you to pray And for whom do you pray? We have this immense privilege to approach God in prayer. How do you use that privilege? As I prepared this sermon, um, two things happened. One, I was convicted that a lot of my prayers are focused on myself. Very self-focused. God, help me. God, be with me. God, help me. God, do this for me or my family, and two, I was burdened to pray for you, that God's presence would meet you here this morning and throughout your lives. So God responds to Moses in verse 17. He says, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor In my sight, and I know you by name. Why does God respond this way? God says, You are my friend, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. God delights to hear and answer prayer, especially when we pray for things like God's presence. And God assures us, he assures you this morning of his presence. He will be near to you. 
He is near to you. But Moses is not satisfied with this assurance. Instead, he continues and pleads with God for a second request. It says that Moses says to God, please show me your glory. What does this mean? What does this request, please show me your glory, mean? Is it a request for some weird metaphysical, religious, spiritual experience? How is it connected to the previous prayer? And is it connected? Well, as we said earlier, God had said to the people, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up with you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. In Malachi 3.5, it says this interesting thing. It says, God will draw near. He says, I will draw near to you. That's great, right? God's going to draw near to me. But he says, but I will do so for judgment. I will judge the adulterers. I will judge those who swear falsely and those who mistreat or ignore the weak and the helpless and those who do not fear God. I will draw near to you, but it will be in judgment. And God says to Moses here, listen, the reason I'm not going to go with you is not because I, you know, that my presence is, is, is anything other than, than what it should be. But the reason is if I am with you and you continue to act this way, you continue to act with this stiff-necked, horrible, rebellious way, there is, there is no way that I will be able to refrain from judgment of you. And so you don't want me to go with you Because if I go with you, I will judge you. I will consume you on the way. You see, having the assurance of God's presence is not enough. We need assurance that God will approach us in peace and not wrath. And so Moses began his prayer by asking God, show me your ways. And now he pleads, show me your glory. Or in other words, God, show me who you are and what kind of God that you are. Put my mind to rest. Assure me that as as I lead this people by the hand, that you will be merciful to them. That you will draw near in mercy or in love and not judgment. This request is far from being removed from the previous request. It is at the very heart and soul of the request. We need God's presence. We need it, but we need his merciful, loving, and gracious presence. So those are Moses' requests, and this is God's response. I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. 
and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. God had previously revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush as I am who I am. Meaning that God is self-existent. He's self-sufficient. He's self-empowered. He is completely and utterly free. God is not dependent on anything or anyone outside of himself. Um, And the way that classical theologians have put it is this. It's all that is in God is God. In other words, there's no, God is not made up of parts that we can dissect. God simply is. He is who he is. And now, God reveals himself in a similar pattern. Just like he says, I am who I am to Moses at the burning bush, now he says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Or in other words, just as God is completely holy and free, set apart from creation as the self-existing God, he is also completely free to show mercy to whomever he chooses. God is free, and it does not depend on anything in the person. It originates in God. It depends on God. So what is God saying here? He is saying essentially this. Just like he said, I am who I am, and everything that is in God is God. So God is not made up of attributes, even though we give him attributes He is omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's this, that, or the other thing. And so God is not made up of those things. He is those things. God is omniscience. God is omnipresence. God is omnipotent. God is these things. That is who he is. And what God is saying here is, I am Mercy, I am compassion. You can hear an echo of this in 1 John when he says, God is love. That is who he is. What that means for us is that God is, is gracious to you, not because of anything in you, not, a, not because of anything that you have done to deserve it, but because he is mercy, but because he is compassion and love. He is good and gracious and loving and kind to you because that is who God is. <sighs> Then the Lord, 
has Moses hewn out two stones upon which the Ten Commandments will be rewritten. So if you remember, when Moses steps down from the mountain and he sees the people of Israel worshiping this idol, he throws down the Ten Commandments and breaks them, symbolically showing to the people of Israel, you have broken God's commands. And the Lord here, in this gracious and merciful way, he is signifying that the broken law will be become unbroken. That you who broke the law will be made like those who have not broken the law. God's broken covenant will be restored to his people. And so Moses comes to Mount Sinai the next morning, and the Lord descends like a cloud. And the text says, he stood with Moses there. God reveals himself in a human-like form. And then it says that God passes over and upon Moses and proclaims his name. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Friends, what is God's glory? What is his glory here? God, or Moses, prayed and said, show me your glory. And this is God showing his glory to Moses. What is it? God's glory is that he is merciful, gracious, loving, faithful, and forgiving. It is God's glory to show you mercy, to forgive your sin, to love a rebellious people even like us. It is his glory. And it says that a figure stood on the mountain with Moses. Who is this figure? Who is this shady person who stands on the mountain with Moses? Well, we know that in some sense it's Yahweh. It is the Lord because it says that the Lord stood with him. But God is a spirit. He's not a man, at least not yet. When God comes in human-like form in the Old Testament... It is the pre-incarnate Christ. It's the second person of the Trinity. It is Jesus who sits, who stands rather, next to Moses and reveals the glory of God to him. And so what I want you to do is I want you to imagine what must be going through the mind of the Son of God as he's passing through and saying, I am the Lord, merciful, gracious, kind, forgiving, faithful. He knows that the only way for justice to be satisfied and mercy shown to rebels is for him to take up residence in the womb of Mary, to live a life of suffering, and to offer his own life in substitute for those whom he loves. 
The only way for the broken law to be made unbroken and the only way for the covenant to be restored and renewed is through his broken body and his blood poured out on the cross. Jesus, he knows this, and yet he declares to Moses on that mountain, I am Yahweh, gracious, merciful, loving, faithful, and forgiving. It is my glory to forgive you and to love you at great cost to myself. He knows this, and Jesus embraces it. Just as Moses in our passage pleads for his people here on this mountain, it says in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus always lives to make intercession for his people. Just as Moses said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Jesus pleads for you. He says, Father, let us make our abode in this people. Forgive their iniquity, forgive their sin, and make them your family and your dwelling place forever. That is what Jesus is praying for you. That is the good news that we receive from this passage, that God is glorious in the way that he draws near to you with mercy and grace. God's presence is with you, and his love is shown to you in this that he forgives your sin, that he makes you a part of his family, and that he takes up abode inside of each and every one of you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful for the good news that you, it is your glory to show mercy to forgive sin, and to love people like us. God, we cry out to you and we do ask, Lord, reveal your glory to us. Show us your glory. Forgive our sin and our iniquity. Make us pure and holy and may your presence go with us. God, I pray right now that your presence would be with us as we partake of your body and your blood at this table. Draw near to us in mercy, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.